Hello, everybody. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to join us today for the ICM Property Partners quarterly update. My name is Mike Baker, and we're pleased to have Lead Portfolio Manager John Cortliff join us for today. Before we get into some of the substance for the update itself, I want to spend a couple of minutes and maybe just highlight a little bit about ICM Property Partners for those that might be a little bit newer to the platform. So the easiest way to understand ICM Property Partners is that it's a fully unconstrained private real estate mandate. And when I say unconstrained, it's in reference to the fund's ability to be able to shift the underlying allocations between multiple countries, any submarket within those countries, and we're active in all the major asset types being office, industrial, retail, and multifamily. The fund itself invests into three key buckets or three key strategies. The first of which is called incoming growth, which is essentially the acquisition of an existing in-place asset that we feel offers some degree of value creation opportunity. So this could be a tenant improvement program, a slight repurposement, but essentially anything that allows us to acquire an asset, take it through a value creation program, and then ultimately either refinance it and hold it for stable income, or more likely have an exit and actually sell that asset. The second key bucket that we invest into is development. So as opposed to acquiring an in-place asset, in this case, we are developing a new asset to bring to market, taking it through a development cycle, and then once stabilized, again, either refinance it and hold it for stable income, or more likely have an exit and actually sell that asset. And the third bucket is a small slice of high yield lending or mezzanine debt that would be secured against real assets. I'm gonna bring in John here to talk a little bit about our activities over the last quarter. But before I do, I think it's really important to kind of highlight why it's important that we sell assets for our platform, okay? And the first reason is that the sale of assets is really the oil behind the flexibility of our platform. Um, if you think about it conceptually, if we didn't sell assets, it would be very hard for us to shift the underlying portfolio mix or the underlying asset mix. So acquiring assets and exiting assets is what allows us to shift between markets and between asset types. And the second reason that's very important is from a liquidity perspective. When we sell assets, the, dis the disposition proceeds can then be used to either redeploy into future projects or fund liquidity needs at the trust level itself. So I'll bring in John now to talk a little bit about our activities over the last quarter here. And John, maybe we'll start with some assets that we have acquired. Um, so on the acquisition side, um, I believe that you wanted to start with the San Diego industrial deal that we did, and I'll let you kind of take it away from there. Sure. Appreciate it, Mike. And thank you everybody for joining us. Um, as Mike suggested, uh, we've been, we've been busy this year for sure. And, uh, and while the couple of the acquisition updates that we're going to provide are not necessarily related to activities specifically in the third quarter. Uh, you know, they are very relevant and there are significant updates from the last quarter or so in uh, in respect of these assets. 
the the focus that uh, that we've had for the last couple of years has been industrial property, and uh, and we're going to spend most of our time today talking about that type of uh, that type of asset that uh, that we've made a number of acquisitions in over the last number of uh, last number of quarters. So the Otay Mesa asset that uh, that we acquired in Q1 of this year is is just south of San Diego. The southern boundary of the property effectively is the border wall with Mexico. It's incredibly well located, very strategic site in the sense that uh, that it's a 120 acre parcel with a new port of entry being constructed on the eastern boundary of the property. So there will be a third port of entry coming into the United States from Mexico on the eastern flank of the property with the first freeway exit exiting immediately into the property from uh, from from that border crossing. So incredibly well located, very strategic asset, <clears throat> 120 acres that we're taking through the final entitlement phases and we expect to have that done inside 12 months at this point. And uh, and there is an immense amount of interest in that submarket right now. Uh, we've seen Amazon and a number of others scooping up land, scooping up buildings, and uh, and we expect that this will be a, a very profitable investment for us in the in the coming years. Our intent with the project when we acquired it in uh, in the first quarter was to see it through the remaining entitlement phase and then reevaluate re our position and you know decide at that time whether we wanted to take the land through horizontal development, meaning putting in the roads and the storm system, uh, or whether we wanted to sell it as is. We've decided at this point that we're going to at least see it through the horizontal construction and we would like to as well construct a number of the uh, the buildings on the site. Ultimately, it's it's going to be eventually 1.8 million square feet of, uh, of industrial space is what uh, is what we currently have approved. And uh, and that's a substantial and subsequent investment to, uh, to to construct all of that inventory. We've been approached by a number of users uh, to acquire portions of that land, uh, and we have entered into an LOI to, uh, to to sell a portion of that land, non-binding at this point, but uh, but still a, a very strong expression of interest in uh, in the parcel itself, uh, and that uh, and that ultimately price is at about 1.6 times what we think our all-in cost is going to be to uh, to to get the land serviced and ready for sale. So. A very substantial, uh, a very substantial uptick for us, and uh, and a very, very healthy profit margin. Given that, you know, our all-in cost on the land will be one fifth of uh, of what what the eventual sale price is, and we'll be able to fund the construction with uh, with with construction financing. So, a, a very significant equity multiple potentially for us. So, you know, the the amount of activity in in that submarket, and even right down into Tijuana, is immense right now. Tijuana actually has a, a Class A vacancy rate of zero, as in there are zero square feet of available Class A space in the Tijuana submarket. And when you've got that type of activity south of the border, you can only imagine the amount of traffic that's going to be generated over the coming years coming into the United States. So this port of entry is very strategic. The parcel that we own is incredibly strategic in respect of uh, in respect of its location relative to that new port of entry, and uh, and we really think that we've got a great investment on our hands over the coming uh, over the coming years. Yeah, and and that's a good point, right? Because mm -hmm. it kind of ties back to what I mentioned earlier about the flexibility of the platform, right? So it's not blind what we're doing in in shifting the underlying portfolio from an asset type perspective. Think about it like we always want to be shifting the portfolio into the asset types that we feel will be in the highest demand in markets that we feel will be in the highest demand. And most typically for us, that means that we want to be investing into high growth secondary markets. 
So for us right now, um, that's markets like Dallas, Charlotte, Atlanta, Minneapolis, Denver, Phoenix. You know, these are markets that have high wage growth and high population growth. And it's probably no surprise that from an asset type perspective, industrial is in the highest demand right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've we've been talking for a number of uh, a number of quarters and and even back into uh, into early 2020 about the the reasons ultimately for uh, for the the acceleration in demand for industrial being obviously e-commerce, but also nearshoring, reshoring, friendshoring, ally shoring, whatever whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's there's a, a significant amount of uh, of increase in in demand for industrial space in in Mexico for for. Uh, you know, among companies looking to diversify their uh, their supply chains, and uh, and that's leading to manufacturing as well as distribution and logistics demand in Mexico, and a substantial amount of distribution and logistics demand in the United States. Yeah. Okay. Let's briefly talk about uh, three more quick acquisition side deals. Um, one in Phoenix, one locally in in Calgary, actually, and then one in Mexico City as well. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, the the deal in Phoenix is uh, is a project that we actually invested in at the end of 2020 in the fourth quarter, and uh, and we've been under construction and and are just now, in fact, uh, you know, completing construction on the uh, the shell building. Uh, we haven't built out the tenant spaces yet, as we've only signed one lease. A strong amount of uh, of leasing prospects in uh, in the market there, and and the market continues to be incredibly strong in uh, in the, in the western side of. Uh, of Phoenix down that 303 corridor, so it's uh, it's proven to be an exceptional location. Um, we're very confident in uh, in our ability to get the project leased up over the coming quarters, and uh, and we've managed to complete that project uh, largely on time. Phoenix had uh, a couple of uh, big rainstorms this summer that, uh, that that slowed us down a little bit, but largely on time and uh, and on budget as well. So. Uh, so credit to our developer partner there, but uh, but we've got uh, we've got what we think is another great asset, and that's proven proven out in the, in the sense that um, uh, just recently, even subsequent to the end of the third quarter, we received an unsolicited offer to uh, to acquire that uh, that asset from us as is with no tenants in the building at a price that is very near what we anticipated selling that building for three to four years from now when it was already full of tenants. So, um, you know, we've we've really we've really got the wind in our sails on uh, on on that Phoenix project. And we believe as well with the other Phoenix project that uh, that we acquired in uh, in the third quarter of uh, of 2021, uh, which is called Buckeye. And, uh, and we think both of those projects ultimately are going to be incredibly successful for the fund. The uh, the other in Calgary, um, you know, we don't uh, we don't get to spend a lot of money in Canada these days, but um, uh, but there still are select opportunities that uh, that that you know that interest us. Uh, the reason that we're not ultimately deploying much capital in Canada is is not you know a a innate country bias away from Canada, but it's simply that uh, that we've seen better opportunity in the United States and down into Mexico over the last couple of years. Um, and that continues to be the case. Uh, that said, you know we do have we do have our ear uh, to the ground and and are really connected to uh, to the markets here, given uh, given our presence in the market. And and certain opportunities do come up now and again that uh, that are worth pursuing. And and you know the 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 Point Trotter development that we're underway on now for uh, for Doka is is one of those projects that uh, that that just makes sense for us. 
so this is a project in fact that we began working on in in january of 2020 and uh and we ultimately didn't end up closing on the land until april of 2021 uh, and by then from january 2020 to april of 2021 what we were doing is negotiating with a tenant in the background to get a lease signed up negotiating a land purchase agreement with the city of calgary uh, effectively designing a building and, and and entering into a construction contract with uh with a you know well-known uh contractor so a sig significant amount of work went into this project before a dollar was even invested and what that means for investors is that, uh, that by the time we put that dollar into the ground and actually closed on the land, we were in the ground two weeks later with a tenant in tow on a 15-year lease and uh, and ultimately, you know, substantially de-risks the project in, in Calgary, which has has been a challenging market over the last number of years. So we're going to build this project to a, uh, to a, a you know, uh, a low double-digit cash-on-cash return. And, uh, and we'll be able to hang on to that project for, uh, for uh, you know, a good number of years and, and PPT investors will do very well out of it. Um, the update on that project since we began construction is that, uh, uh, that we remain on budget and, uh, and we expect now to be delivering at the end of the first quarter of 2022, uh, which is a couple of months later than, uh, than we'd anticipated, but, uh, but we did get caught up with some, or our contractor got caught up with some supply chain issues uh, over the course of the summer. So, um, you know, but ultimately uh, going to be a, a great investment for uh, for Property Partners Trust. And the last that uh, that uh, Mike suggested we uh, we cover is um, is a project that we acquired in the second quarter. In fact, in uh, in Mexico City, in a northern submarket in uh, in Mexico City, really actually in an inner location given Mexico City's size. That this will be a last mile distribution and logistics facility for uh, for for delivery to uh, to to Mexico City purchasers for an e-commerce company and uh, and we are we are working with a couple of large companies that uh, that you know could take two thirds of the 335,000 square feet that we anticipate building on the site and we hope to have that lease in place in the next few months before we actually even break ground on construction so. We still are working through final entitlement phases on uh, on that project and expect to be in the ground in uh, in, in early 2022. So everything remaining on track on uh, on that project as well. Great, thanks, John. Okay, let's uh, let's shift a little bit and talk about the disposition side of things. Um, three pretty exciting exits we've had in the last quarter here. Um, again, all good wins from an investment perspective for uh, for investors. Um, but also importantly, as I noted earlier, I mean, the, the, the notion of a liquidity creation event at the underlying portfolio level is very important for our strategy. So, um, John, if you want to maybe start by talking about star metals, which is a multi-residential development that we did in Atlanta. Yeah, you bet. And, and I think just adding on to, uh, to, to what Mike said as well, it's, it's, you know, disposition of certain of our projects is important for for a number of reasons, as as Mike suggested. the The third reason that I would add there as well is, you know, it's 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 price discovery, and you know, we we strike an AV internally every month, and and that ultimately sets the the price at which our units trade, and uh, and you know, the the disposition of underlying properties at or above the the carrying value that uh, that that we hold those assets at really allows investors to feel confident in in the net asset value of the the fund overall and you know from from our perspective as as investment managers when when you know we 
build something as, as great as Star Metals Residences. And we truly did invest in that project with an anticipation of holding that building for a decade and continuing to profit from, from strong income from, uh, from the building during that time. Uh, it, it is hard to sell an asset like that. It's a trophy quality institutional asset and uh, and one that we were very excited to hold and refinance. But when we initially approached the brokerage market in the spring of this year and gave them ultimately a, a, uh, a three-pronged mandate to either refinance, find a JV partner or find a buyer for the asset, we were open to all three if the price was right and and ultimately we hit a price that represented a sub four percent cap rate on forward income and given that when we ultimately agreed to dispose of that asset we were only 60 percent leased you know it was really difficult for us to uh to to say no to that given that you know it was a sub four percent cap rate on our future underwritten uh pro forma income so it um you know, it, it's hard to see it go, but uh, but when you sell an asset for a couple hundred million bucks and your all-in cost is 137, um, you know, we'll uh, we'll turn around and and redeploy that capital and and be able to do better than uh, than we would have by continuing to hold that asset at uh, at that type of pricing. So, you know, a liquidity event that uh, that ultimately closed at uh, the very end of September. So, very end of Q3, we uh, we traded out of that asset, and the purchaser ultimately was a very very well known uh you know tech uh tech founders family office so a a a really big win for for property partners trust and uh, and ultimately we've got a deep pipeline of opportunity to uh to 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 be able to put those proceeds back to work great um next we also had an exit at lake ridge technology center also in atlanta this is kind of a more flex industrial type office very in line with the office exposure that we do have within the portfolio as opposed to being a skyscraper type office these are you know flex office park low rise located so the outside city centers yeah, and this one was probably a little bit more unexpected coming into 2021. Um, you know, the property was appraised at $19.2 million at the end of 2020. And, you know, we were carrying it a little bit above that uh, going into uh, into the spring and, and summer, given some of the positive leasing activity that we did see at the property. As Mike suggested, it's single story flex office. Uh, there were some roll up doors at the back of some of the units. So, you know, still quasi industrial, but but mainly the conversion to uh, to single story office had happened. And um, and our our business plan with this park ultimately, you know, when we acquired it back in 2018 was to uh, to acquire it. And and we didn't have any you know intention of holding this for the long term. It was. Uh, it was a park that uh, that we acquired, improved the landscaping, improved the 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 wayfinding and the signage, um, painted the building, you know, redid a portion of the parking lot and restriped the parking lot as well. So effectively, just a facelift. It wasn't uh, wasn't anything more than cosmetic, but it it still repositioned the part the uh, the business park in uh, in the market. So we were able to increase our lease rates a little bit, and as we renewed tenants, we were increasing lease rates. Uh, we did have positive leasing velocity earlier this year, as I mentioned, um, uh, but ultimately we traded out of this asset in early October for for $27 million, which was substantially higher than our carrying price. And, and ultimately, based on that price, we were only able to underwrite a, you know, well under 10% forward-looking IRR on a five to seven-year hold. 
so when you know when you get an offer like that again it's uh it's it's difficult to to turn down because we feel frankly that we can redeploy the net proceeds and and do much better than that um important you know assessment for us as well given that you know withholding taxes in the united states are due when you do sell a or when we sell a property for for investors in canada um, we have to look at what we can achieve on the net of tax proceeds that we do have to reinvest. And even in that circumstance and with respect to Star Metals residences also, you know, we can we feel that we can redeploy the net proceeds, net of tax proceeds and still achieve a better outcome in, in over a four to six year horizon with uh, with a, a new investment. So Lakeridge. Uh, as Star Metals did, in fact, both generated about a 28% IRR during our investment period. So very successful investments, both approximate, you know, 2x equity multiple. So very successful investments. And um, and again, we've got a deep pipeline and we're very excited to redeploy the proceeds. Perfect. Uh, final one on the exit side is Spartan Ridge. And that's an industrial development that we did. And this is the second phase. The first phase was sold back at the end of 2019, if I believe. Yeah, and, and this has been, uh, you know, another great success story. Um, we did trade out of the first building in Spartan Ridge uh, in at the end of 20, 2019. And at the time, we, we did want to hold that asset. But Property Partners Trust was at a different phase of its growth. And um, and. Uh, you know, it uh, it it just wasn't feasible for us at the time, unfortunately. But um, uh, but you know that would have been the right decision. Uh, you know, our pivot to industrial was was on back at the end of 2019, and uh, and we uh, you know we would have done very very well by continuing to hold that. And we continue to believe, even with the second building, that uh, that continuing to hold that asset is uh, is the right move. So what we've done here ultimately is we are refinancing the uh, the the building. And we are going to consolidate Property Partners Trust interest in the building, so it becomes 100% owned by Property Partners Trust, and uh, and we'll collect you know the the income from that property for uh, for the foreseeable future. Our intent is to build a a sizable industrial portfolio, and and ultimately, if uh, if we do in a few years seek to recapitalize or or trade out of that uh, that industrial position, uh, we should be able to capture a portfolio premium premium at that time. So our forward-looking return on uh, on holding Spartan Ridge Two as a standalone asset is in the neighborhood of 11% IRR over a seven-year hold, um, and and so that uh, that becomes a, a relatively lower returning asset in the portfolio. But it's important to have those in the portfolio to provide some some risk offset and balance for uh, for some of the uh, the the more highly geared development projects. Um, so again, a great investment. The development cycle IRR for us on that project is is going to be, you know, upwards of upwards of forty to fifty percent. Um, you know, very strong equity multiple on the development cycle, and uh, and we've got financing from uh, from a lender lined up to uh, to be able to ultimately consolidate PPT's interest in uh, in that project. Yeah, and I think that's really important to note too, right? Because we talk about these development deals that we're doing and. You know, we talk about these returns that we're achieving on the development side, but when you look at property partners as a whole, you know, I think the reason why we can deliver consistent long-term returns is that we have investments that are in different profiles, right? We don't have, we're not fully allocated to only development deals. We're not fully allocated to only stabilized properties. So think about the 
stabilized portion of property partners as being you know lower uh, lower return generating more income generating and then you've got you know these kickers where if we are successful in turning over some of these development deals we can you know boost underlying returns without you know having to take on too much risk right that's exactly right and i mean you know if you look at the aggregate uh portfolio we're looking to generate you know asset level returns if you will gross asset level returns gross asset level returns before yeah. management fees and and fund costs of you know 14 to 15 percent and and uh if we are successful in doing that uh then then we'll be able to hit our investment targets for uh, for for investors and that's that truly is a blend so we're talking about the returns that we're earning on on you know some of our development projects and and lakeridge which was a, a you know a relatively deep value add project for us um you know those are those are exceptionally good returns uh but what what we need to consider as well is that the broader portfolio of income and growth properties as well as the mezzanine lending those types of assets are really only ever going to generate sort of nine to 12 percent irrs for for the fund so you know it does take those development projects and the kick that we get from those projects to to drag the portfolio uh the gross portfolio return up to that sort of 14 to 15 percent range and obviously then uh you know we'll we'll shift the weight of the portfolio to to balance risk over time uh, but right now, we 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 believe that uh, that development is the place to be. Uh, obviously, in a in a in a world such as that that we're in, in not only a sense that uh, that you know cap rates have compressed materially, buying existing assets is it's is exceedingly difficult to generate uh, meaningful returns. But um, uh, but also the demand for new product in market from buyers is strong enough that uh, that that we believe that that's the place to be deploying new capital. Yeah, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to kind of finish up our call by talking a little bit about our pipeline, where you see us allocating new capital over the next quarter. Um, I know you kind of briefly touched on it there, but you know more broadly, what what does that look like? Yeah, not not vastly different from uh, from what uh, what investors will have heard from us for the last number of quarters. Uh, we continue to remain uh, almost exclusively focused on industrial, with a secondary focused on on multifamily. Though we haven't uh, haven't done a multifamily deal of uh, of note in the last couple of years. Um, you know, the opportunities have simply been too good on the industrial front. So our pipeline uh, remains robust. Uh, we will be focused on on industrial assets through the southern U.S. Uh, and uh, and into Mexico as well. Um, and investors can expect to see a number of uh, number of acquisitions in the coming quarters. Yeah, and I really think that that's where our value add comes, right? Is that, you know, we're highly focused on industrial right now, but it's our job to watch when those trends start to cool or start to revert, right? So, like I said, we want to be investing into markets that are in growth phases, in asset types that are in the highest demand, but we need to be doing that prudently, right? So it's our job to watch these real estate trends and market trends and know when to shift the portfolio and when to take our foot off the gas, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that's what we've done over the last couple of years. I mean, ultimately, we took a, a portfolio that was about 6% allocated to industrial at the end of 2019. And we will end 2020 with north of 30% of the portfolio allocated to industrial. And that reflects, you know, our, our belief that that has been the place to be over the last couple of years. And uh, and we continue to believe that that's where where we want to be investing for for the time being. 
but that certainly will shift over over time and that's why you'll see the portfolio ebb and flow in in not only country but but you know asset type and and investment type as well great okay let's wrap it up there i appreciate everyone for taking some time to uh to get an update on our end and we greatly appreciate the support looking forward to many good quarters ahead and thanks for joining us john all right thanks mike thanks everyone No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as recommendations or solicitations of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate or change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of ICM Investment Management Incorporated as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. ICM Investment Management Incorporated does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.